I was eight years old when I finished playing a game of baseball with my friends in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I was born. And I walked inside of my house to read four chapters in the book of St. John because in our home, it was a part of how we lived. I was raised in a Christian family. I was not fasting, was not praying, and didn't want to read. I wanted to read, get it done, and go back outside and play with my friends. That was my mindset on this day. I walked into my room and grabbed my Bible because at the end of each day, my family would ask me, did you read the Bible? And we would at least give four points, one per chapter, or go back and read the four chapters again. So I was going to read it, make mental, mental notes of at dinner time, the inquiry of what did you read and what do you remember? If not, we couldn't watch TV. We had to go back and read our Bibles again and do a report before we could watch our cartoons. That's not called child abuse. That's called train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart when they grow old. I'm an example of growing old and have not departed. Amen? So I was trying to get my four chapters done so I could go back outside and play with my friends. When I sat down on the bed in my room, a supernatural pull came around me up under my feet and pulled me through the roof of my house. And I could look down and see both the front yard and the backyard at the same time I was at high. And I could look down the street and I could see my friends playing baseball where I had been playing. And in a few moments, I began to move at a high rate of speed and I went flying, I guess, through the universe, wherever I was going, to this place that I eventually would call heaven. And so as I was flying for a few moments, you could see things move. You were going. And then I landed. And when I landed, I landed outside of one of the biggest gates I'd ever saw in my life as a little boy. I reached out to touch it to see if it was real or just a part of my imagination. But when I touched it, it felt real. It felt like a substance. You, you, you had that feeling that it was a real, a real thing, a real place. And I heard these words, this is one of the gates. And I turned to my right, and there stood Jesus back where that uh, staircase is, from where I was standing. And he began to walk toward me, and he said, I want to give you a tour of heaven today. And when he said that, the gate I was next to began to open, and he walked up toward me, and as he walked up toward me, the glory or the presence of Jesus was so strong it caused you to almost cry involuntarily. It just began to come out. And um, he grabbed me by my hand and walked toward me, had we walked toward the gate, and we walked inside of heaven. The first thing I remember seeing in heaven was the golden stream with the golden curb with the flowers next to the curb that hummed. When you walk past the flowers, they all made a small little humming sound. Now, it's not a Walt Disney production here. They don't have little beady mouths that mm, when they sing. Every few moments in heaven, there comes a wave of energy, life, anointing, whatever word you want to call it. 
and you can feel it. And when it would come through the flowers, see, I'm eight years old. I'm about that high. So I'm close to the ground. More than you are now. So I'm an eight-year-old having this experience. I'm not 46 having the experience. When I tell it, I tell it as a little boy because that's when it happened to me. And I remember walking by the flowers and you could hear little humming sounds coming out of the flowers as you walked by them. And each flower was identically perfect to the other one without one blemish. And as we walked by it, I remember looking at the flowers and hearing them hum, and I wanted to go touch them because kids like to touch things. But I didn't have a chance before I looked up and a woman came walking down the street. When you get to heaven, you will look the way you look now, but without any imperfections. Everybody in heaven that I saw looked like they were in their 30s is the way they looked to me. So if you're 102, there's hope for you. (laughs) If you don't like a certain thing, it's going to be okay because God will make it all right for you. Hallelujah. I only got four amens on that point. All right. And this lady came walking down the street, and um, she walked up to us and said a few things to us, and under her arm, she had a little bundle. One was a book, another thing was like in a bag or something, I couldn't tell what it was, and she knew my name. Now, knowing my name is a very difficult name because there is an S on my name. I'm not just Robert, I'm Roberts. That happened to me because my parents and Oral and Evelyn Roberts were close friends, and my parents were the first students of the university in Tulsa to have a baby boy. And Oral and Evelyn wanted to help name the first boy and the first girl. So I popped out first. And so they named me Kenneth after my father, Roberts after the Roberts family, Lairdon is my surname. So Kenneth Roberts Lairdon, I've spent 46 years explaining that S everywhere I go. So when these people in heaven walked up to me, they all knew my name and said it correctly. And they all knew I was a visitor, that I wasn't there to stay. And the lady said to me, she goes, we're so glad you're here, Roberts. Enjoy your visit. And she walked off. Now, the Golden Street, when you look at it as it goes down a ways, it almost turns into what it looks like crystal clear look to it. There's a goldenness to it, but when you look on down, at least that's the way I remember it, it looks almost crystal clear the way the light, <clears throat> the light and all that works. And we walked off of the street to go to one of the houses in heaven. Jesus said, I make a mansion for you. Now, a mansion is not Buckingham Palace. A mansion for you is a house that is appropriate and made to your liking. It's not California track housing. Praise the Lord. Some are bigger and smaller. Some are done differently. But they're done in a liking that you would enjoy. And we walked up to this house and we knocked on the door because in heaven they have manners. They don't float through the wall and go high as they go outside the other door. (laughs) Heaven and earth are very much similar except for heaven is perfect and earth has a lot of faults to it. Even the color of the grass 
is both green, but the green of heaven is the very essence of the color of green. Now, I don't know how to explain that to you any more than saying it that way. It is the green green of the color of green. Our green is kind of pale compared to the vital brightness of the color of the green and the grass in heaven. And as a little boy, here's a little boy thing. You know when you walk on grass, England don't have that much grass because it's usually winter here. In America, we have more summer. And you walk on grass and you leave a footprint. And eventually the grass will move back to standing up. In heaven, you can watch it jump back. It moves faster. So as a little boy, I kept playing with the grass because you'd leave your footprint and you'd watch the blades of grass jump back faster than earth grass. So to me as a little boy, that was like, that's kind of cool. Look at this. Because Oklahoma grass doesn't do that. It just stays down there for a long time. You get bored with it and you walk away. You come back a day later and it looks normal. In heaven, it moves faster. It moves back like that. When we knocked on the, the home, uh, the door of this home, the man that owned the home opened the door and invited us in. He knew it was Jesus and he knew my name. And we walked in, <laughs> we walked into his house. And it was decorated a lot like what we would do here on earth in many fashions and some differences. But the most amazing thing to me was the sofa, we would call it, the couch. When you sit in a piece of furniture in heaven, like you've already started doing this, sitting there for 15 minutes trying to find a comfortable spot. In heaven, when you sit down, and I sit down in the sofa, comfort lived in it. And it reaches up and cuddles you while you sit on the sofa. And you never have to do any of this to be comfortable because it's just wonderful. See, if those chairs were in heaven, you'd buy that chair and take it home because that chair would just be as comfortable because comfort lives in the furniture and you can feel it move as you sit on it. And when I sat on the sofa, I thought, ooh. And in the house, he had pictures of his family. Now, some of these things, you don't have to believe me. But you have to believe in Christ to go there to see that I'm right. I'm trying. <laughs> this is how I saw it. This is what portion I saw. And he had pictures, a couple of pictures of family members that were still on earth in his house. The people on earth and the people in heaven are in two different locations, but were not absent of the awareness of each other. The people that have gone on before you, your brothers, your sisters, your family, your elderly folks in your family, your friends that have gone on to heaven, they are aware of your earth existence. They are aware of it to some degree. To what degree, I cannot state, but I'm aware that he talked about his family and he had pictures of his family members that were still on earth in his house. His house had books. His house had other types of decorations in it. So you don't just get a house and it just glows at you. It has decoration, furniture, books. Heaven and earth are so much alike in some ways that it will be surprising when you get there how similar they are. So the man in the house talked a little bit more to, to Jesus than to me. 
because I was playing with the sofa. Again, I'm eight years old. I didn't ask theological questions. I didn't try to figure out all the questions I get after telling this story. Did you see the marks in his hands? I didn't look. I was a little boy who liked the grass and liked the sofa who was cuddling me. And I kept moving around trying to outsmart it and it kept taking care of me. Now, when you find a sofa that moves, you'll be very much entertained. And so when our little visit to this man's uh, home ended, we got up and went out the back door of the man's house. Why? I have no idea. There's no scripture, no revelation, except for that's what we did. We walked out the back door, and that's when I began to notice the plants, the trees, and the animals. When you walk out, when I walked outside, the birds and the trees that were singing, I understood what they were singing. They didn't sing in English or another. They still sing in bird talk or whatever you want to call it, bird language, but you understood it. There is no communication gap between angels, saints, and the animals are there. There is a communication that is closer and easier for all of the creation to interwork with than we have here on earth. So when I walked by and saw the birds in the trees, they were singing, and I understood what they were singing. People ask me, well, how can there be animals in heaven? Well, then I ask this question. How can Jesus ride back on a white horse if it's not there? Good evening. Say, well, I just don't, I don't think there'll be animals in heaven. That's because you don't like animals. Doesn't mean they're not going to be there. There's going to be all kinds of birds, all kinds of earth animals. And there are some creatures there that I'll even try to explain. In the early days of me telling this story, I would try to explain some of the other animals or the other creatures I would, that I saw. And it got weirder for the people. So I just don't talk about it. Because I don't know how to explain it in a way that it's understandable. And there's so many other good things you can understand and relate to than be caught up in an animal or a creature that is not on earth, but it is in heaven. There is no fear in heaven. There is no rejection in heaven. The atmosphere, all is supportive of you. Now, this to me is the most wonderful aspect of heaven that I miss the most. Now, the sofa wasn't bad, but to be in an atmosphere that there is no resistance to you at all. There is nothing in the atmosphere to pull a negative thought or emotion or attitude or feeling. The whole atmosphere is absent of that type of happening or spirit or behavior. So everybody in heaven is happy. And they like each other. Praise the Lord. There'll be no civil wars in heaven, praise the Lord. There'll be no conflict. There'll be no fussing. There'll be no fighting. There'll be peace in heaven. To be in an atmosphere when you stand up in it, it's totally supportive of you. The way you talk and interact and the way you move is a positive thing. Is a the most beautiful thing. That, to me, is the thing I miss the most 
by coming back is to be stuck in this where an attitude could create a disposition, a feeling, a separation, an awkwardness that may take weeks or months or never resolved in the natural and there's this little right there to meet everybody you meet and there's no quirk. There's no, I don't like your hair today. Or I don't like this. Or it's, it's not there. And it's not robotish. It's just being in an atmosphere where that is not present. We walked a little ways. And we went to what I would call a praise service. It was probably five or six hundred people. Now you can tell the difference in heaven between earth people and angels. One, because of their height. All the angels that I saw and the one that I have with me stands about six to eight feet tall. Everybody has at least one. If you're real busy, you might get two. If you're in a war, you might get five or six. I don't know, but they come when you need help. And we we use the name guardian angel, an angel assigned to you to assist you. I think everybody has at least one. I think at different times you may have more than one according to what you're doing and what you have need of. And when angels walk up to you, they know that you're from earth and you know that they're from heaven just because of the height. Some would wear different color belts or sashes. Some, as I said earlier, would have wings and some would not. When they would walk up to Jesus, everybody had a respect but a friendship type of relationship, especially the earth people. The angels had more of a uh, duty respect and an honorable type of disposition. But people like you and I, when we get there, there'll be a respect, but there'll be a friendship base inside of how you relate to Jesus. And the angels all knew my name and they all knew that I was a visitor. And I kept trying to play with the feathers of this one that was on my side. Now, wouldn't you, if there's a six-foot creature standing here, and it moves, and its feathers or its wings move, and you're about that far from grabbing one, wouldn't you grab it? You reach over and you grab it, and I tried to pull it out, but it wouldn't come out. Because... I was raised around my family who raises chickens. And if you pull on a chicken, its feathers will come out eventually. Well, these angels' feathers didn't budge. Nor did it seem to bug the angel. Because I kept playing with it. And the angel either didn't care or ignored me or whatever. But I'm this tall. I'm eight years old. And we walked into this building. And they were singing songs. They were Worshiping, as we would call it in our expression. Everybody in this particular place where we were, were all doing the worship in their heart with everything they had in them. Now, we hardly ever see that on earth. People worship in degrees of personal release. In heaven, it's boom, it just flows. Everything about them. 
And when they would start singing, I would see little like sparkles come out of their mouth and go up into the air. And when I would sing, the same thing would happen with me. And I tried to grab the little sparkles. Again, I'm eight years old. Sparkly things, jumpy grass, and feathers are a big deal. Sofas that move, a bigger deal. And so I would sing with them because I would know the song. Some songs I knew because they were earth songs, and some songs I knew because I just knew them. Some songs that we sing on earth, they sing in heaven. There are some songs that were, I guess we'd say, that were birthed from the spirit of those moments when the family here and the family there became one, and boom, the song came out. That's beautiful. And so when you would sing, we created the substance called praise and worship. Praise and worship is not just something you do. It's something you create that blesses the throne of God. And when people are lost in it, caught up in it, they create that substance called praise and worship. I wish every time we worship we would get there, but we don't. We could. It costs you a little much on earth. You can't be aware of your earth stuff if you want spirit stuff. If you want heaven and earth to interact at certain points, earth people have to get rid of earth controls and become free to move in the spirit and to go with whatever they feel in the response to create the substance of praise and worship. I'm sure here at KT there have been times when that has happened and you've experienced it and you go, oh, that was a special service. Well, yeah, it was because you finally got there. It could be something that you could have every time if the majority of the people would pay that particular abandonment price to create that atmosphere. Revival has more than it's what we call it. Oh, revival, that's when things of the spirit world become more consistent and more real and they begin to happen in a physical and felt way. That's why we like it. When the service ended, at the top of this building was all of this praise and worship substance. And it shot up out of the roof, I assumed. It went to the throne or wherever it went, but it didn't stay in the building. And as we were leaving, the people, again, knew my name, and we began to, uh, to, to walk out. Jesus stands about 5 foot 11 to 6 foot feet tall. He has a beard, and his hair comes to about here, and he has muscles. You say, why would you say that? Because I saw them. They say, well, did you see the scars? I didn't see scars. I didn't look. I saw biceps. <laughs> and that's the way I remember Jesus as I walk through heaven. Jesus, when he laughs, is what we call in the States a belly laugh. Does that make sense when I say from down deep? is a hearty laughter. And the, the whole time I was around Jesus... I never felt uncomfortable. I never felt strange. Never felt 
awkward. I felt totally at peace, playing with the feather, singing in the service, in the house. Wherever I was, that's the way I felt. When we got through here, we went to another unique place that we have John the Revelator talk about called the River of Life. The river of life, as far as I know, is the only river in heaven, but has many tributaries that go through heaven. And Jesus and I walked up to this branch or tributary of the river of life, and Jesus stepped into it, so I followed him and got into the river of life. Now, the river of life does not go around you. It goes through you. Because when you go swimming, your body is waterproof. Your skin and how your body operates keeps water on the outside. You're not like a sponge that shrinks or soaks up and falls to the bottom of the, of the pool or wherever you're swimming. But you're not life-proof. And when you step into the river of life, you can feel it go through your legs, and you can feel the energy or the, the life, as you want to call it that, as it went through you. You could feel it. So you don't want to miss that when you get to heaven. It's a great, great thing to have it go through you and feel that life or that energy as it goes through your legs. Now, I'm about to tell you something that you may not like, but it happened. Jesus reached over and threw me under the water. I came up, splashed him back, and we had a water fight in the river of life. Out of all the things that I share about this, and I get lots of letters and emails. This is the number one thing people say, how dare you splash Jesus? <laughs> and I must say, he started it. <laughs> now, as funny as that may be for some of you and for other, how dare you, I dare because he started it. I'm an Oklahoma country boy, so when you splash me, you get it back. For me, that was the moment when Jesus became my friend. For an eight-year-old, I understood water fights. I don't understand theological terms. I don't understand I love you terms. I understood actions that an eight-year-old processed as my friend. That was the day that Jesus became my friend. And that is one reason why I do what I do today. He's my Savior, but also as important to me personally, he became my friend. And he wants that same type of thing with you. Savior is the most important part, but secondary is you being his friend. And accepting him as a friend in your life can change your whole Christian experience, your whole earth experience. You've heard me say here at KT before, I'm a preacher because I like him. I actually like Jesus. I just don't love him. I actually like him. Now, for some people that may not connect the dots very well, but in my vocabulary, that connects the dots in a big way for me. 
You can love somebody but not like them. You love your family, but you don't like some of them. You wish Jesus would fix them. Maybe you should go first. Just a thought. But I like him. And that was the day that Jesus became my friend. It wasn't the sofa. It wasn't the praise service. It wasn't the other things I want to talk about. It was the water fight in the river of life that said to me, he wants to be my friend. And it was that part of this experience that has kept me in the ministry, that has kept me following the Lord through the good moments, the challenging moments, all the emotional dramas that you go through in life. What keeps me going at the end of the day when I go to my room, I put my head on my pillow. My friend still likes me. I still like him. And we still have this relationship that anybody could have. Jesus knows how to relate to every person in the most intimate way to you. I may not know how to say the right words or buy the right gift or be at the right event in your life to make it a special thing for you. I might miss it. Jesus knows how to say, do, and show up at the right moments in your life the right way to let you know he is for you and he loves you and he's not going to walk away from you no matter what at all. When we got out of the river of life, when we got through our little water fight or life fight, whatever you want to call it, we got out and our clothes felt like they were wet. And as we stepped out, in a matter of a few moments, they were all dry. That's pretty cool. The best hair dryer, they're all taken care of. We walked down this street and took a turn. And I saw the biggest building I saw when I was in heaven at, on this particular visit. From the back of it, they looked way back there. I saw lightning being slung into existence. It's the only know how to say it. You could see it began like somebody was throwing it. It would form and it became lightning as it left the back of the building. And you heard a low rumble coming from the building. And the Lord said, that's the throne room building. I didn't go in, but I heard the rumblings and I saw lightnings being slung into existence. Where they went and what they did, I don't know. I have a speculation, but I have no for sure about it. Now, the second thing that'll be probably the most challenging for you with my story is what I'm about to tell you. Five to 600 yards from where we were at the throne room building, 
I walked into another building, and when I walked in, I saw body parts in the building. Eyes, fingers, all different kinds of body parts in this building. And as a little boy, you reach out and you touch them. The unique thing about this building was it didn't have an awkward feeling or a weird sensation to it. It was like, okay. As a little boy, I walked in and on these shelves here were blue eyes and brown eyes and different color eyes. I can still see them, but they're on the shelf, just sitting there, and other body parts. And I turned around to say, what is, you know, what, what's, what's all the eyes here for? What's all the other stuff here for? And he said this to me, these are the unclaimed blessings. Now, Jesus talks in the language you understand. This kind of talk is the kind of talk I grew up with. So he would use the language that I understood as an eight-year-old. He will use the language you understand from where you've come from in your life experience. So Jesus may never use the same type of verbiage he used with me that he uses with you, but you'll get the point. You'll understand. He said to me, these are the unclaimed blessings that belong to people on earth who have not gotten the part that was made for them. So in this building were body parts that people have need of in the earth. If your kidney is dead, there's one for you. If your eye does not work, there's one for you. Some of you need an adjustment in your body. Others need new parts. Your new part has already been created for you. You just need to go get it. I told this story one time, and, uh, <laughs> and I made the off-the-wall comment, which really wasn't off-the-wall. I said, if you ever see a body part come floating by, you need it, grab it and put it where it belongs. <laughs> see, it kind of ruins the moment when you say that. But I do believe that. If you're sitting at home and a body part comes floating by and you need it, don't go, ooh, grab it and put it where it belongs. It's your body part. Or grab it and go put it in the person next to you because they can't see it and you saw it. Stick it in them. Get them a new heart. Get them a new liver. Get them a new kidney. A new brain would be good for some people. <laughs> and so a guy was sitting out there in, in a congregation like this hearing me tell this story. And I was a little more animated in those days when I would tell it than I am tonight. So I was more preaching it than telling the story. And I made the comment. If a body part comes floating by and you need it, grab it. Stick it where it belongs. You got it. That's when he thought I was a nut. That's when he thought that guy did not go to heaven. He was smoking dope. He just thought I was tripping. It's a good trip if I was. I get a letter from him apologizing for his rudeness during the service because he got up and left. So I'm not going to give any more time to this guy who says he went to heaven and all he did was 
have a drug-induced experience. He was sitting at home and a kidney came floating by because both of his were dead. He said, and before I could think I heard your words, grab it and put it where it belongs. He said, I reached out and grabbed it and stuck it where it belonged and then I thought I was crazy. He said, that boy has got in my head. He goes to the doctor and finds he's got two new kidneys and they don't know how he's got new body parts. According to his testimony. So let me just be real blunt with you here. If you need a body part and it comes floating by, grab it and stick it where it belongs. You've got your part. It's that simple. That's the only, to me, the only unusual thing that I saw that was, to me, over the top when I was in heaven. I saw nobody floating in the air. I saw no angels flying through the air. They, they may, but I didn't see them. Everybody knew each other. We came out of the storehouse and we walked toward one of the other gates I could see not too far away. And he turned to me, Jesus did. And he took both of my little hands and one of his and laid his other one on me. And that's when he called me into the ministry at that moment. He said, I'm going to send you back to earth to preach while they yet call you young. I have placed three goes inside of you. You'll never be happy not going. You must travel. You must journey. You must go. And he said the word go three times. Go, go, go. And each time he said it, a new degree of fire, warmth, intensity, whatever you want to call it, went inside my little body. And I could feel it. He said a few more things, and he took a step back, and I felt like I was on fire. So the way it felt. It wasn't painful, but it felt like I was on fire. He said, now return. And this is the only time I flew like this. I came up off the ground, went over the gate, and headed back to earth. Very sad moment. If I ever get to go again, I'm not coming back. If you raise me, I'll come back and punch you and take off again. When I flew up over the gate, my angel flew up next to me and introduced itself to me, told me its name, and I'm not going to tell you because then you get weird. But my angel usually stands about right here. I can always feel my angel. I don't have fear of, of people hurting me. I don't have fear of, of danger or thing because I got a six to eight foot creature that 
right there. And to me, because I've seen my angel, met my angel, and I can sense it, it brings a security to me. I can walk anywhere and it doesn't bother me. Because you can't touch me. I don't die easy anyway. I'm going to live until the day I'm supposed to die. In the meantime, I have fun. And the angel flew up next to me. I am the one that's been assigned to assist you. And I looked. And the angel said, and I will not leave. I will be there. Whether you see me or not, I'll stand to your right. And that's what, that's, that's what he said. He said a few more things about his work. He said, and at times others will come to assist us, but I'm the one that will remain. I shall not leave. I will be with you. Others will come and go, but I'm the remaining one. He called himself the remaining one. I have a remaining one. I think you do too. I don't know where yours stands. My stands over here. Now don't get weird and start trying to feel it. It's amazing when you tell stories like this and people start doing weird things around you. I had one lady walk up and goes, I'm trying to see your angel. I said, you can't. Angels as real as you are. And I landed back in my body. Back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I guess several hours had gone by. I don't know how long I was gone. But it had to be a period of time. But it would take a half a day or more to do all that we did. But it wasn't that long in my experience of being absent. My family did not seem to be aware that I was gone. Nor did I tell this story until I was about 17 years old. Because I didn't want you all to think I was crazy. And even more so than that is it was personal to me. And I was sitting in school. And the Lord said to me at 17, write what I showed you when you were eight. And I have to be honest, I said no. Not trying to be mean or rude, but... No, because I know how people treat people that talk like this, especially when you're 17 now and you have body parts, sofas that move, the river of life and fighting Jesus with the water. All of these things are not Baptist, (laughs) dead Pentecostal. New Agers like it, but Christians have a problem with it. Sometimes the other people who are tapping into the spirit world illegally or on the wrong side have more of a relatability to spiritual experiences than we who are born of the spirit, which is an indictment to our spirituality. Not everything that happens to you in the spirit world was authored by God. There is the counterfeit out there. And you must be careful that you don't embrace the counterfeit and that you embrace the legitimate. The Lord said to me when I wrote the book, two things he told me. He said, one, it'll become the evangelistic arm of your ministry. You are not an evangelist, but it will do the work of an evangelist for you. 
He said, two, it will forerun many visitations of the next generation. Today in our world of Christianity, there are more people having experiences like this than ever before because we're getting closer to a moment of a great transition. When earth as we know it shall come to an end and that which has been prepared for us shall come into the clearness of our sight and we will make a transition leaving this earth world behind and stepping into a freedom you've not known. One of the worst weights of the world is when I landed back in my body. Boom! And all of a sudden, you were contained and you were weighted. Your spiritual person has no containment like this body has and does not have the restrictions. That's why you'll see in the Bible at times when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a prophet in the Old Testament, he is taken out into the spirit world. He is removed from the restraints and the weights and the heaviness and the sensory control of this physical body to become fully aware of that spiritual world. It is hard sometimes to see a vision even if you are prophetic because the glare of your soulish eyes is always trying to dominate your sight. And you have to push through the scene of the natural into what is being shown to you spiritually. Hearing the voice of God. You have to get through all the earth sounds and the feelings that your body speaks to you to hear the voice of God. And that's why you have to train your spirit to be above the sound of your body's senses and, and it's a, it sounds in this earth to hear distinctly the voice of God. That's why everybody likes to hear how to hear God's voice. It's quite easy. The problem is your sensory voice is so loud and your other visionary things are so strong that you have to penetrate through that to see and hear and do it distinctly so you make sure you hear the right thing. Many people have a mixture of their voice and God's voice. That's why things don't always work as easy because they assume it's all the Lord and they didn't sometimes go back and review it from Scripture and wait on God to see where maybe your soul spoke a little or another voice interrupted something or you added to it or you're trying to find a description or an interpretation and it messes it up a little bit. Once you've conquered the sensory realm and the, the outer realm, it's easy for you to hear and to see. And you're not so much overtaken by it as much as you yield to and with the Spirit of the Lord. He'll move upon you, and you can feel that he wants to show you something. You can feel his presence or the nudge of the spirit or the, the moving inside, and he'll move you one way or the other. And I found those that see a lot wish they didn't. 
And those that don't see much want to see a lot. Because with everything you see and hear, there comes responsibility for that. More so of intercessory labor than speaking labor. The sights and the sounds of the Spirit are carried more than announced in the earth. Where one spends more time announcing, it draws a question mark to me. If they're mature enough in what they're handling. Or if what they're seeing and hearing is not something from the Spirit of God, but a mixture of their spirit and God's spirit. Or a counterfeit with the voices of people around about them. Does that make sense? Heaven's a real place. Everybody can go that wants to go. But there is something you must do to guarantee your heavenly home. It's not church membership. It's not four chapters a day reading your Bible like I was trained growing up. That wouldn't hurt you though. But it's not a requirement. The only way that a person has a security that when they leave this earth and they go into the afterlife, as we call it on earth, that they go up and not down. Because heaven sits at the top of the universe. From underneath its foundation proceeds the universe that we know. The only way that you're guaranteed a heavenly home is through Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I believe that the Holy Bible is God's written word for us today, that it contains the oracle, the announcement of God to mankind. I believe that there is not four ways to heaven, but one. It's not through any other person, but that of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who was sent to this earth to redeem mankind And to restore the fellowship of the Father to man through his own sacrifice for our sins, our judgments, and our shames. He willingly came and spent 33 years of earth life to display the heart of God toward mankind. The Bible contains little small clippets of Jesus' activities on this earth. Enough to let you know that when you hear Jesus talk and you see what he did when he walked this earth is to reveal the heart of God toward man. The angels declared the day that he was born, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. God's will toward us is good. He is not angry at you. He is not coming to get you. He is coming to bless you, coming to heal you, coming to love you, coming to give you an acceptance that you are looking for that no man can give you.